0: Funding for Igeret Hachuva*, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg The Rebbe begins the letter of Teshuvah with quoting the Braisa written at the end, after the last mission in the Tractate Yuma, the three different types of atonement that a person achieves in his lifetime, while you're alive. If you violate, transgress a mitzvah of omission, you did not fulfill a mitzvah, then you do Teshuvah, and the moment you do Teshuvah, you're forgiven. The moment you repent, you forgive. If a person did a sin of commission, you did an act, prohibited act, then shuvah alone is not enough. You need to shuvah together with Yom Kippur. And then the Altarebi went in a, like in the parentheses, explaining why is that. Superficially, you may come to the conclusion that the reason that you see from here that a positive mitzvah is not so strict, it's not so important. In the hierarchy of things, a positive mitzvah is, is way down here. Prohibition, that has more value, that's more important. And the proof is that if you violated the positive mitzvah, you do tshuva and you're instantly forgiven. What does that tell you? That it's no big deal, okay, you messed up. It's so easy to clean up. So the fact it's so easy to clean up after means it's not such a big mess. It's not so terrible, okay. So you didn't do a mitzvah, I didn't do a sin. I didn't rebel against the God I didn't actively go ahead and do violate Hashem's will I, I was lazy I didn't do a mitzvah so fine so the moment you do tshuva you instantly instantly forgiven versus if you violate a sin you went ahead and rebelled against God and did a sin now that, for that tshuva alone is not enough. Okay. so what would you derive from that what, what, what would be your impression from this which one is weightier the sin. the sin so that's what the Rebbe immediately says and this parenthesis that's not true it's not correct because the proof is because we find the conflicting fact the conflicting fact is the Torah says if you have a conflict between a positive mitzvah and a prohibition which one, of, which one outweighs which? the positive is stronger than the prohibition the positive outweighs the prohibition You have to wear tzitzis in the times of the temple. They had the fish. They knew the dye, the special dye. One of those strings had to be a blue of wool and blue. And the Torah says if you wear clothes made of of linen, you have to have a string, a woolen string dyed blue. But the Torah itself says you're not allowed to mix wool and linen. So the positive mitzvah of tzitzis, outweighs the prohibition of not mixing woolen and will. So what do you see from that? That the mitzvah is weightier. And he explains also why. Why is a mitzvah weightier? A mitzvah is weightier because a person, by doing a mitzvah, you draw godliness into this world. That's what the mitzvahs are compared to the organs. They're the organs of Hashem. Just like the organ draws out The energy from within the soul, the eye brings out, draws out from within the soul the ability to see. So every mitzvah draws out a divine energy in a very internal way. Draws it out in a revealed way. And therefore, since the whole purpose of creation, God created the world as He wanted us to draw Him, to draw His presence, to draw godliness into this world, so, therefore, the mitzvah is weightier, the act of mitzvah is weightier than the prohibition. So, if that's the case, why, when it comes to tshuva, is it so easy to do tshuva? If you do a sin of omission, the moment you do tshuva, you're in- instantly forgiven, versus if you do a sin, it's a whole process. You have to wait till Yom Kippur, the day of Yom Kippur, the holiness of the day of Yom Kippur, coupled with the tshuva especially the triva on Yom Kippur is much greater than the Truvah whole year but also the day of Yom Kippur itself the holiness of the day of Yom Kippur together with that that atones for the sin why is that? so why do you need an atonement when you sin? when you do an act of a, a, a commission you do a sin because when you take an action you do a sin you violate the prohibition You bring negative energy into this world. Just like when you do a mitzvah, you bring positive energy into this world. When you commit a sin, you bring negative energy into it. Not only into the world, into your own soul, into the source of your soul, into the higher worlds, the higher realms, even touching the Divine Hashem Himself. You create a stain. You've wreaked havoc. You've done damage. You've torn the fabric of existence. You've harmed the world. You do harm. Thought, speech, action, by doing, by doing a sin. So, therefore, you need a cleansing. And that's why you need, true, alone is not enough, you need the powerful cleansing of the day of Yom Kippur itself. Because Yom Kippur is when the core and essential connection between the Jew and God emerges and surfaces the unconditional love between the Jew and God surfaces and that washes away and cleanses away all the negativity and all the dirt and everything is just washed away but when it comes to if you violate a sin of omission there there's nothing you can do to make up for it once you've missed the train you've missed the train You can regret from today till tomorrow And you can have a change of heart from today till tomorrow And you can pledge from today till tomorrow But you missed the train There's nothing you can do You miss Shema one time in your life There's no making up for it When you miss a prayer You can make up for it The next prayer When you miss Shema You can't make up for it the next time You can't read two Shemas Alahically you can't read two Shemas It's done, it's finished even if you'll be careful, for the, you'll do tshuva, you'll repent. And for the rest of your life, you'll never, till your last breath, you'll never ever even miss a single shema. But the shema that you missed, you missed. That opportunity that you had to bring godliness into this world, that opportunity was lost. That train, that trip, you missed but I want and I care and I, I'm so sincere and I, I promise I'm going to change. I know, but you weren't there. There's nothing we can do. You, you missed the trip. You missed the point. So what keeps people from despair? And why is it murder a much more negative thing than stealing, especially if someone steals because they're hungry? Well, you don't despair, as we'll see in a moment, because firstly there's teshuvah. There is Yom Kippur. There are ways to achieve atonement. God gave us ways to achieve atonement. If we mess up, inevitably we will. We're human, but we also can clean our act. We can clean up our act. We can, we can also fix. The third part of the Tanya corresponds to the third part of the code of Jewish law, which is marriage. But the ultimate marriage, as we find, the ultimate role model of all marriages in the Shem and the Jewish people and God, is immediately there was a breakdown. And the ultimate marriage is almost like the remarriage, the second marriage. Before every breakthrough, there's a breakdown. So it's when you get your act together and you, you, you fix it. It's the second time around. That's when, that's when it's, you're really... That's the real marriage. So... That's part of being human. That's how we learn. We learn from our mistakes. That's the best teacher. Unfortunately, it's a very effective teacher. But that's the best teacher. Of course, we always have the option of getting it right the first time. But, you know, that's a very rare event. Most people... uh Hashem saw tzaddikim, and there were very few <laughs> people who got it straight the first time. <laughs> and he spread it out throughout the generations because there are very few—one or two—in every generation. This is most of us learn from our breakdowns, from our mistakes. That's very effective. So the second time around, you get a second chance, and we get it right. Therefore, the reason why chuva is so light. The moment you do truva, you're forgiven. You don't need Yom Kippur. It's not because a positive mitzvah is so insignificant. And therefore, if you missed it, what's the big deal? And the moment you show a little sincerity, you instantly forgiven. It's no, I'm a country. Because a positive mitzvah is so weighty. So the fact that you lost that opportunity, truva can't help. Yom Kippur can help. There's nothing you can do. It's finished. It's done. You lost the opportunity. You can cry from today to tomorrow. It's... An ordinary shuva can't help unless one in a million—a tshuva that's one in a million—that's off the charts—that's something that the Talmud writes about that Rebbe cries because it's so astonishing, this, uh, such a level of such an intense level of tshuva that with, with that tshuva you can make up for all the mitzvah that you lost. But that's 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 like the Einstein—you know—that's one one in a one in a billion. That's unusual. We're not talking about that. The Torah speaks to most people. So the regular tshuva, this is not something you can fix. And that's why the Torah says, the Talmud says, that the moment you sin, so for the mitzvah that you lost, there's no making up, nothing will help you. It's finished, it's lost. It's so weighty, there's nothing we can do to help you. The only thing you can fix is yourself, personal, Because you rebelled. You acted treacherously, treason. You went against the king. The king gave you a clear command, and not only you, and you ignored the command. You violated the command. King told you put on tefillin, read the shema, very clear instructions. No wiggle room, no if, maybes, buts. Clearly, command. You commander-in-chief, command. I expect you on this morning, and you didn't show up. There's a war, you're a soldier. You, the king himself commands you to go to the front line, and then you're lazy. I'm sorry, I'm not in the mood today. <laughs> you imagine you're a rebel. You went a while, missing an action. For that, you have to do tshuva And for that, tshuva helps instantly. to turn you around, to turn yourself around from being a rebel and regretting it and, and accepting upon myself I'm going to change and from here on I'm going to be a loyal and faithful servant a loyal soldier and I'm going to live up to your commandments or whatever your command is, I'm, is you know, I'm going to live up to my obligations and responsibilities and your commands will be binding on me that's sincere and that you can take care of in a moment how far is east from west? just turn around <laughs> that's all. That's, that's all you have to do is turn around. The moment you do Truva, the moment you turn around, that's it. You're there. You don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. You don't need pain and suffering. It's, it's there. Yeah, It's in your hands. You can turn around in a moment. Instead of being a rebel, now I'm yours. I belong to you. You're my commander in chief. You have a right to command me. And I have an obligation to obey your commands. Very simple. It has to be sincere. Obviously. It has to be sincere, as it says. Actually, the Talmud says very interesting that if a person sins and it's not, and he confesses, but it's not sincere. You know, many people they come to shul and they bang themselves. I sinned and I did this and I did that. And they list the whole the whole Hebrew alphabet and every, day, every day, and on Yom Kippur we, we say the Alchet four for each letter of the alphabet, four different sins, you know. So you can imagine a lot of a lot of confessions going on. But let's say you're just mouthing the words; you're not sincere. So the Talmud says it doesn't help. Does, that's not that's that that doesn't work and the Talmud uses an an analogy the analogy is it's as if you go to the mikvah to purify yourself from impurity by immersing in the mikvah but while you're immersing in the mikvah you're holding on to the dead rat that made you impure in the first place will the mikvah help? no No. you're in the mikvah very nice but you're you're holding a dead rat so you're in the mikveh, but you're still holding to the source of impurity that made you that made you impure in the first place. Now it's a very curious analogy. Seemingly it's not a correct analogy, because in the analogy, at least you're in the mikveh. You're genuinely in the mikveh. You're totally immersed in the mikveh. But while you're immersed in the mikvah, you're still touching the dead rat, the source of your impurity. But in the case of someone who confesses and he's not sincere, he's just mouthing the words, it's not like a person who's in the mikvah. You never step foot in the mikvah. It means nothing. I'm just saying words. That's not truva. Truva means you're gonna change. You're gonna repent, Did you have a change. You're just mouthing the words, what value is it? It should be, the analogy should be like someone who didn't even step foot in the mikvah and that's no the Talmud says no he's in the mikvah but it's no good because he's still holding on to the right so the Rebbe explains just the Rebbe explains that a person is called a communicator the name in Hebrew for man in the western dictionary man is called rational animal but in the Jewish definition of man the highest quality that a person has is that we are communicators. We have the ability to speak. Not just to speak. Parrots can also speak. But the ability to communicate, the need to communicate, which comes from the deepest part of our soul. So the nature, since man is called a communicator, speaker, the nature of speeches, that when you say something, if you don't mean it, it bothers you. Unless you're a politician. (laughs) That, that's the whole foundation of lie detectors when you tell a lie and you know that you're lying you feel guilty inside something inside feels tightens up you know, and it shows up unless you're a pathological liar unless you know, you're know you trained to pass uh, lie detector tests, but most people you can't tell a lie only, a, only a, someone who's truly pathological can lie without blinking an eye a good person finds it hard to lie. It's like, you know, you feel embarrassed, this. You. Only, a, you know, someone who's pathological, who's psychotic, can look you in the eye and lie with, in your face, without, twi- without twitching, without blinking, without, and convince himself maybe that he's telling the truth also, or saying it with such conviction. Just a lie, a bold-faced lie. Or his brilliance have gotten one over on him, so it's... Yeah, but it's, it's but a person who has a certain... Most people, who are not psychotic. We're not pathological. We're not politicians. Most people have a certain... You know, when you lie, something inside tightens up. Yeah, you know, because that's the nature of speech. Speech conveys. Speech reveals. So when you say something, the speech stirs something inside of you. So even if you're not sincere, this is what the Talmud is telling us. That's why the analogy is accurate. That even if you're not sincere, but the fact that you're sitting there and saying, I sinned and I stole and I lied, and I, you can't help but on some level feel a stab of guilt, a stab of regret, a feeling bad about it. I did something horrible. I did something terrible. I feel bad about it. I don't feel good about it. So therefore the Talmud says the analogy is like the person who enters the mik- because just by saying it you're entering the mikvah you do feel inside some, some sense of remorse some sense of regret but since you're not ready to change your ways and you're just going through the motions so it's, it's a very superficial deep down you may feel remorse but the effect and impact that it has on your conscious life is nil so therefore you're still holding on to the rat you're not changing the dead rat you're still now you're not changing so therefore, it's not effective. It's not considered a good Shuvah. Shuvah has to be genuine. See, we have one little problem. God is genuine. <laughs> and to impress God, we need something genuine. God has to look in our heart and see that we're for real. You know, when we sin, we sin. We, someone came to, to a Rebbe once and says, Rebbe, I don't know how to do Teshuvah. No one ever taught me how to Tshuva. The Rebbe says, And who taught you how to sin? (laughs) You managed to find your way. You did it. You you figured it out. You'll figure it out. You'll find your way to Tshuva as well. Tshuva has to be genuine. So that's what the Rebbe explained till now, in the parentheses. Now he goes back to the conclusion of the Braise, to the third category of Atonement. The third category of Atonement. Page 1008, the second paragraph. If one commits... If one commits a sin punishable by excision or execution, oh. repentance and yom kippur are tentative so that the individual is not punished but suffer suffering guys. If a person violates the ultimate sin, a sin that comes with a capital punishment, either in the hands of the court or by heaven, and there are also two positive mitzvah that fall into this category two positive mitzvah that if you a sin of omission if you don't do these mitzvah your life is cut off which sin is that if you don't circumcise and if you don't bring the paschal lamb you don't offer the paschal lamb the sacrifice of the paschal lamb. so for these two your life gets cut off what? Is son? No, if the son grows up and he's 13 years old, and from the moment he turns 13 and he's not circumcised, and he doesn't make sure that he's circumcised, then it becomes his sin. He's responsible, he's an adult. And that's why we find that the Jewish people, no matter how far they are, these two mitzvot are very careful about circumcision. the unbelievable chutzpah now in San Francisco they want to ban circumcision this is America the name of liberalism the name of being open minded they want to ban religious freedom circumcision the most ancient the foundation of the Jewish people the most ancient ancient ritual this is in America the bastion of liberalism of open mindedness it's just astonishing incredible that we we have lived to reach such a such a state such hypocrisy such close-mindedness you know in the name of open-mindedness they're open-minded to everyone and everything except a true believer and they're the enemies of the jewish people and enemies of the torah it's just mind-boggling in the name of uh, just the hypocrisy and the it's hard to believe this is happening in 2011 in the united states of america do they say why, this is what america has come to today it's just it's just do, what, beyond belief It's just just beyond belief. But anyway, I mean, this is a decree for for Nazi Germany. This is a decree for the Romans, Romans who refused to allow Jews to circumcise. This is this is this is this is Hitler would be very proud. They make Hitler very proud. Anyway, and the other thing is the Pesach to bring Pesach. That's why we find most celebrated Jewish holiday in America it's Pesach most Jews will come to a seder families get together it's Pesach I'm a Jew and the same is with with Yom Kippur you know Jews most Jews would never step foot in shul all year round except if there's a bar mitzvah a bat mitzvah and comes to Yom Kippur they have to be in shul it makes no logic it's not logical if all year round being Jewish means nothing to me why all of a sudden one day a year it means something but because when the Torah says your life will be cut off that means that this mitzvah touches the core the essence of your identity you know I'm a Jew how can I not be circumcised I'm a Jew how can I not celebrate Pesach with my family I'm a Jew how can I not be with other Jews and celebrate Yom Kippur it touches such a deep place within us that no matter how alienated or distant you are throughout the year but it touches us in a very deep place so if a person goes ahead and violates a sin where the Torah says your life is cut off it means it touches such a deep place within your soul the damage that you do you're severing such a deep place within your soul the stain, the scar is so deep that tshuva alone is not enough. You need Yom Kippur. and You also need pain and suffering. As the B'hiri says, that the tshuva that a person does when you, pain, when you have pain and suffering is also a different type of tshuva. It's one thing a person does tshuva. You repent. Then there's a level of tshuva on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is such a holy day. It, it, it touches you. you know, you're, you're inspired. Yom Kippur gets to you. It gets inside the kishkes. You know, if you really moved, it's it's deeper. It's a deeper level of truth. But then there's the tshuva when it hits home. when It hits home. God forbid, when a person suffers. Now, God, you're getting personal. Okay. <laughs> now you're getting personal. You're getting personal. You wake up. You know, it's time to do a little soul searching. It's time to do a little self examination. You know, it's a wake-up call. I gotta get my act together. You know, it's time to look what's going on inside and how am I doing spiritually, how's my spiritual health? Am I vibrant? Am I connected? Am I plugged in? Or is things a little rusty, Are things a little the connection's a little weak, signal is a little weak. So it really hits home. And that's the power of of the pain and suffering, it, it, it achieves an atonement. So, al explains. They complete the atonement. The verb, memarking, denotes the final stage, namely scouring and rinsing in order to polish the soul. So, in other words, you need the shruva. You have to start out with truva. Then, you have to live through Yom Kippur. And that Truva, then it hangs. The atonement is not incomplete. But what concludes the atonement, what completely washes it out and washes away the stain, and it's done with, and it's totally cleansed, that's the pain and suffering. And that's what he means, memarkin. Memarkin comes from the word to wash out. You have a dirty pot and you wash it out. You wash out, you rinse out all the dirt. That's how, so what does the rinsing what does the final cleansing that cleans out the system and cleans out it's the suffering that cl- that does the cleansing and that polishes the soul before the signal was weak your soul you were not getting that signal on a conscious level you couldn't hear your soul ah, I can't hear you you know it's like the story with the there was this uh incredible musician who went to Africa went in the jungle of Africa and he starts playing a fiddle the sweetest music it's the middle of Africa it's a hot day and the lions ah, we have our lunch they come roaring out of the forest they come roaring out of the jungle and they're ready to pounce and devour but then the music reaches their ears they sit down like little children, listening to this heavenly music, they're mesmerized, they're hypnotized, and all the animals one by one come charging, the hippopotamuses and the elephants, and they're all, When they see the lion, they see, and they all, and they're all sitting and enjoying this unbelievable concert, and he's oblivious, because he's playing the music, he's lost in the music, all of a sudden, to their horror, the leopard jumps out of the tree and on the musicians and eats them up. <laughs> and they're like astounded. What did you do? This is the most unbelievable music. How can you do this? Look, we all doing it. And the lion is yelling at the leopard. How can you do this? The king of the animals. And the leopard says, So, when reason. a person sins, Sorry. it gets in the way. It clogs our ears. It's music. You know, imagine imagine you're deaf, a deaf person walking into a room, and he sees people dancing. Now, what's he gonna think? He's gonna say they're all crazy because he can't hear the music. Crazy people, they're dancing. Well, he doesn't hear anything. No, what he realizes they hear something. A Jew walks into synagogue in Simchas Torah. Jews are dancing up and down with the Torah. They're dancing. The person says, what are they excited about? Did they make a million dollars in the stock market? They're going on a vacation. What are they dancing? Are they gambling? Is there a bar? What's going on? What are they dancing? He doesn't hear the music. What do you mean they're dancing? It's Simchas Torah. We concluded the Torah. You know what Torah is? Torah is our life. Torah is a divine gift. When a person sins, it clogs your ears. And you stop hearing the music. And you don't respond. Godliness, huh? What? What? It's right in front of you and you just don't hear it. When you do Teshuvah, Teshuvah is a cleansing. The, the, the atonement is a cleansing. Now your soul is cleansed. And now you reach a place where you polish your soul. Now the signals are clear. There's no um, static. Now you can hear the music. Now your soul is crystal clear. It's polished the communication is clear because you went through the process you went through tshuva, you went through Yom Kippur and you went through pain and suffering which polishes a person because what it does is it deflates your ego and then your soul emerges all that humanity all that goodness that kindness that depth that infinite depth of compassion and goodness all starts oozing out and emerges and surfaces and all this beauty that childlike innocence And we all were. We all have it within us. That child, we all were children so pure, so innocent. We still have it deep down inside of us, but it's buried somewhere, very, very, very deep down, submerged with reinforced concrete. You know, sometimes it's even a bunker bomber can hardly get through. But Hashem has very effective bunker bombers. (laughs) It's called pain and suffering. And bunker bombers gets our attention. You can be buried so deep, you buried, you cover up. Your whole life was about money, power, fame. You you had no, you lost totally complete touch with your soul. You became so arrogant, egotistical, self-centered, self-absorbed. You became an ugly human being, a coarse, and ugly human being. But the bunker bombers, Hashem is very powerful bunker bombers, and they they penetrate, and they get reach its target and. It opens up everything. And then that inner purity emerges. The soul shines and sparks. But the pain and suffering, that's how a Jew understands. Pain and suffering is not punishment. God is getting back at me and He's punishing me. It's not punishment. It's God is doing us the ultimate kindness. He's, he's cleaning us. He's rinsing us. He's giving us a bath. It's giving us a shower you haven't taken a shower in years and, and, and people can't stand next to you because the stench is so overbearing and Hashem is cleansing us sometimes you got to scrape the dirt because the dirt has accumulated and it's just unbearable no human being can even stand next to you only, only your parent who loves you infinitely holds his nose and will take you and scrub you personally and clean you and wash you and rinse you And now you smell like a wrench Now you look like a mensch. Now you're you're fit for human consumption. Now you can go back and live amongst people. So this is is the cleansing. And it causes the soul to sparkle. Polishes the soul. So this concludes, this completes the atonement. Want to continue? Yeah, for kapara, for atonement. Yes, for kapara, atonement, is the term for the preceding stage of king... Removing the uncleanness of the sin. Sins punishable by excision or execution are not cleaned away through repentance and Yom Kippur alone. So must be scoured and rinsed through suffering heaven for time. As it is written, with the road shall I remember the sin. And with affliction, their iniquity. Thus far, the baraita with which this chapter is spoken. In the times of the court, if a person violated a capital crime, the court has to put you to death. Because the court could only go by what the eye sees. No one knows what goes on in your heart. Maybe in your heart you repented. But the court can't go by that. So even if you repent, and even if you pass Yom Kippur, and even if you're suffering, God brought upon you suffering, the court will still put you to death. Today we have no court. We don't have the Jewish court. So we no longer have those capital punishments. So now, Hashem judges us. So if Hashem sees that we're doing Teshuvah, that we're repenting, that we're sincere, and we have the power of Yom Kipp. and together with the pain and the suffering this can achieve a cleansing and you don't have to die this will achieve a cleansing till here the Brayse the Brayse concludes and continues but it's not relevant to our discussion here the Brayse says that there's another case but nevertheless he says there's only three categories of atonement because he doesn't include the following and that's why he doesn't even quote it here person desecrated God's name not only you sin but you sin publicly and you brought a desecration of God's name and the Talmud uses an example, a rabbi who doesn't pay his bills on time people say to themselves is this how a rabbi behaves this is the result of someone who studies Torah he's so unscrupulous, he's not careful about other people's money and And therefore they come to to disdain Torah. Why should I send my son to yeshiva? Is this the result? This is the best that the yeshiva has to offer. And this is how the rabbi behaves. So he looks down and has a complete disdain for Torah. So if you reach a level where you desecrated God's name, then the only atonement is death. In other words, tshuva is not enough. And even if you live through Yom Kippur, it's not enough. And even pain and suffering is not enough. It's only death that can achieve an atonement. Because when you die, your ego comes to an end. You no longer exist. You're not here. So the sin is forgotten. You're forgotten and your sin, you no longer exist. So therefore your sin is also forgotten. There is, however, another way how a person could do tshuva, even the ultimate sin, the sin of desecrating God's name, where you can do Teshuvah without dying. How is that? If you can make up. Make up for your sin. The reason why the sin is so severe is because you caused so many people to sin. Because you left a bad taste. You left such a bad impression about the Judaism. So imagine if you make up for it. By consecrating God's name. Instead of desecrating God's name. Doing some extraordinary acts. That sanctify God's name in public and bring many people back to Hashem and glorify God's name in their eyes. And say, Wow, this is the way, this is the product of the yeshiva, this is how a rabbi studies Torah behaves. Where is this Torah? Let me sign up. I want more of it. So if you make up for it, you make up for it by instead of desecrating especially those people that you cause that you cause their disdain if you can bring them back and reconnect them, so then the reason is no longer there so the, the effect is, not, is, is also gone. the cause and the effect if you remove the cause for this for the death then you'll also remove the effect the death but other than that the only atonement is death so death in Judaism is really an atonement it's part of the process. A person has to go experience death. And the, the death is actually an atonement for the soul. It helps the soul make a transition and cleanses the soul. And make the transition to the next world. Which is why the day a person dies in the future becomes the yard site. It's almost like a birth. It becomes like, like a birthday for the soul. It becomes a very special day, an auspicious day, a very powerful day. Each and every year it repeats itself. Because that's the day that the soul went through the ultimate atonement. And and this and through this transition and that helped the soul make the transition into a new dimension of life, a new type of life, a higher level of life. But al Rebbe doesn't quote that whole discussion because according to the way al Rebbe interprets the Braizah, the way some commentaries interpret the Braizah that the Barayah said only three types three categories of atonement because we're talking about the mitzvah of teshuva the mitzvah of teshuva there's a mitzvah to achieve an atonement and mitzvot are obligations on live human beings the atonement that you achieve after death has nothing to do with the mitzvah of teshuva that's an atonement for the soul that's not what we're discussing the mitzvah of teshuva is not to achieve an atonement for the soul after life after life there are no mitzvah. The mitzvot are obligations on human beings to achieve an atonement while you're alive. So in this, to fulfill the mitzvah of tshuva, there are only three categories. The atonement you can fulfill while you're alive, there are only three categories. If you violate the sin of omission, if you violate a sin of commission, or you violate a sin, which comes with the death penalty. And then you need tshuva, Yom Kippur, together with pain and suffering. Okay. So this is the breysim. Now... Al-Tarebi is going to start explaining what is the mitzvah of teshuvah. Now the mitzvah of repentance as required by the Torah is simply the abandonment of sin. al Rebbe says the mitzvah of repentance. Every word of al is very precise. al Rebbe states clearly that to do teshuva, to repent is a mitzvah. It's not one of the... One of the 613 mitzvahs. Positive a mis- uh, negative mis- No, positive. Do positive. true? Do true. Now it's interesting. Not everyone agrees because it appears the Minchas Chinuch commentary on the mitzvot argues that. From the wording of my Maimonides. Maimonides says that the mitzvah of tshuva is this week's Torah portion. Parshas Nasir. And it's mitzvah. 364. And the Torah says that they will confess their sins. So Maimonides says that the mitzvah is when you, when you do teshuva you have to confess so from this from the language of Maimonides the Minch Chinos argues according to Maimonides there is no mitzvah to do teshuva but the Torah says that when you do teshuva this is what you have to do it's not enough to do teshuva in your heart you have to verbally confess to Hashem no, no confession to the father to the rabbis that's not Jewish there's no confessional booths in the synagogue. <laughs> you confess to Hashem. It's you, you between you and Hashem, but you have to confess to Hashem. You have to verbally say, "I sinned." That's the mitzvah of tshuva. No, so the mitzvah of tshuva is when you choose to do tshuva, then you have to confess. What's the logic behind his argument? What do you mean? There's no mitzvah to do tshuva. Why not? Why would the mitzvah be the detail? When you can, when you do tshuva, if you voluntarily choose to do tshuva, then this is what you have to do. It's like if you volunteer, you want to eat meat, okay, you have to chef. This is the procedure. This is what you have to do. You don't have to. Why? What's the logic? And the logic is very simple. A mitzvah is an obligation, a commandment. But a mitzvah is only an obligation to someone who believes in mitzvah, who accepts this obligation. A Jew who's living within the boundaries of Torah, he accepts upon himself God's commandments as obligations. So this is the order of the day. A person who's sinning threw off the yoke of heaven. He deserted. He's a deserter. So you can give commandments from today to tomorrow. He's not responding to commandments. He threw off the yoke of heaven. He's a rebel. He committed treason. He's a deserter. He's not obeying rules and laws. It means nothing to him. He's not coming to the rabbi. Oh, rabbi, you think I should do tshuva? Oh, the Torah says I do tshuva. Oh, I better, I'm i going to start doing tshuva. It didn't stop the fact that the Torah told you to do all the mitzvot it didn't stop you from sinning. So so now the Torah is going to command you to, 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 to do the shuvah who's who the Torah talking to? He's not listening, he's not responding, there's no one to talk to. I command you to come back. <laughs> I don't care about you, and I don't care about your commands. Shuvah is something that has to come from within you, it has to be your initiative. Something inside of you bothers you. You ran away. You ran away from home. You severed your connection, You link to your family, to your loved ones. And one day you realize, oh, what have I done? What have I done? What a fool I been. I'm out of my mind. I've disconnected myself from my own parents, my own family. This is who I am. And it bothers you. And therefore you choose something in your gut, something in your kishkes pulls you back. Okay, I want to come back. So tshuva cannot be a commandment. Tshuva has to be from within. The commandment is the details. Once you choose to do t- t- tshuva, then the commandment is that you should confess. That's how the minchas Chinuch wants to interpret my mind. The Alta Rebbe clearly does not accept this interpretation because he states clearly the mitzvah of Tshuva according to the Alter Rebbe, and later on in the chapter you'll see that this whole chapter follows the opinion of Maimonides, writes clearly that there's an, a mitzvah to do to show. And in the headings of the laws of Tshuvah, uh, Maimonides writes clearly, and this was also written by Maimonides. He says one positive commandment that the sinner return from his sin before God and confess. The Maimonides states clearly in the heading, in the halacha itself, it's a little ambiguous. You could interpret the way the mitzvah interprets, but in the heading, Maimonides wrote clearly: there's one mitzvah in the Torah, and the mitzvah is to do teshuvah. There's an obligation to do teshuvah. So a person is obligated to do. Teshuver. Now what is the mitzvah of tshuva? The Rebbe says there's something very profound and very essential. Because if you look in the sources, it's a little unclear. Some sources say there's three pillars of tshuva and then there's 20 details. and, And, you know, there are many different aspects of tshuva. There's the confession, there's the regret, there's asking for apologies. And then there is deciding that you're not going to do, you're not going to sin again, changing. But here the al turabi strips away all the details. Let's get to the core. Let's get to the essence. What is the essence of Teshuvah? Not the details that come with it. What is the essence of teshuvah? Strip away all the external factors. The essence of Truva, the kernel, the seed, the birth of Truva. When is the baby born? Of course, when the baby is born, and then after the baby is born, there's many different aspects. You have to nurse the baby and you have to dress the baby. you know, there's a lot of things you have to do to take care of a baby. But what is the point of birth? What gives birth to truva? What is the, the essence, the being of truva, the, the soul of Truva, the core, the crux? No. Not the regret Not the confession Not the seeking atonement Not asking forgiveness One thing And one thing only As Exactly Azivas hachet bulvat. Three words Leaving, abandoning sin Changing From now on I'm going to change My behavior That's it, nothing else Everything else is icing on the cake Icing is important. But what's the cake? Change. I promise I'm going to change. That's it. That alone gives birth to the baby. That alone brings a new entity into the world. That completely transforms you and changes you and puts you in a whole different place. That switch, that change, from east to west, that turnaround, all you have to do is turn around. You were facing this direction, now you face the opposite direction. I'm changing directions. That change of directions, that is the essence of tshuva. That's everything. Everything else comes later. That's icing on the cake. But this alone achieves tshuva. This gives birth, transforms you, and puts you in a whole different place. You become a new person. It's a very powerful statement and it's not so obvious what's the source where does Al-Turabi get this maybe it's the uh, it's the confession maybe it's the regret maybe it's the asking forgiveness maybe it's the seeking atonement and these are all critical components of Teshuvah where does al get that that's all incidental what is the essence of Teshuvah it's abandonment of sin and as Allah says, even in the confession, we make a confession, we specify. We say, khatasi, I sinned, inadvertent sins. I sinned intentionally. Fashati, I did sin, I sinned in spite. And then we go into details. But what is the essence of the confession? Really? One word. Chatsi, I sin. What I sin and I'm not going to sin anymore because this is the essence of the What's the proof what's the source Alter Rebbe says I'll prove it to you Because as it says in Sanhedrin chapter 3 and in the fourth part of the code of Jewish law that deals with financial matters Heshin Mishpat the end of section 434 regarding testimony it says we have a whole chapter chapter 34 the code of Jewish law that deals with which which witnesses are kosher which witnesses are not kosher and then he discusses at the end of the chapter if a witness is not kosher how does a witness become kosher again how can you kosher a non-kosher witness can not throw them in the oven or cook them in a clean them in a pot. How do you yes. culture a non-cultural witness? And the answer is by changing. He has to change. Now, there he has to take action because how does the court know that he changed? He can't come and say, "I changed." Okay, very good. If the court had a dollar for every for every person, time a person told them they changed, you know, you'd be rich. How do I know a person changes? I need proof. I need evidence that you changed. Very nice, you say that you changed. Very nice, but I need proof. So you have to take action. So if a person, let's say, was caught selling non-kosher meat as kosher, like unfortunately it was in the news the last few years. So then, if he's doing business, he goes to a different town, and he does business, and he got a huge shipment of non-kosher meat, and he could get away with murder and sell it kosher meat, but he takes the loss, takes a huge hit financial hit and he throws it out and says I'll take a financial hit but God forbid I'm not going to lie to people and sell them kosher meat that's not kosher so you see that he changed if a person is a gambler he makes a living of gambling not a person who goes occasionally occasionally to the the racetracks visits occasionally but a person that's what he makes a living of gambling so he takes his whatever tools he has of gambling and he tears it up he has to do something to demonstrate that He's changed. But the truth is, that's only because we, human beings, the court, we don't know if He's changed or not. We have to prove. But for God, you don't have to do anything. The moment you change, that's Teshuvah. You're a new person. You're not the same person. You're a different human being You're reborn It's a rebirth You're a brand new human being And your truth is effective You become kosher From non-kosher From being a disqualified witness You become a qualified witness A kosher witness Only because you change You don't have to say anything You don't have to do anything Even if you didn't ask You didn't regret You didn't ask forgiveness you didn't confess. You didn't seek atonement. You just made a decision. That's it. I'm going to change. From today on, I'm going to change. Change my behavior. At that moment, you did the Shuvah. Dr. Rebbe is making Shuvah so easy for us. He's making it so easy, because when you read the original commentaries on Shuvah, it's so overwhelming. You just want to run and hide He's making it, let's, let's strip it down to its beer essence. What is the essence of Truva? He's making it so accessible. He's making it so easy for our whole generation, for all of us, to Truva. It's changing, abandoning, build Ma, that's it. Nothing else. Everything else comes later, that's details, icing on the cake. But the cake itself, what is the essence of Truva? Change. And it's very interesting. We see this also from other halachas. It's interesting that Al Rebbe chose this as a proof because there's also a very powerful proof. It says in the Tractate Kiddushin, the Tractate dedicated to marriage, the laws of marriage. It says in the Tractate Kiddushin if a, if a person tells a wife, Here, I want, you, I want you to be my wife. Here's a ring, I'm betrothing you as my wife. And she says, I agree but on one condition that you're a tzaddik gomer you're a complete tzaddik oh. so even if he's a Russia Gummer, even if he's a complete Russia, he's completely wicked the kiddushin is a good betrothal and she needs a divorce why? why? maybe it's a good betrothal why? because maybe perhaps he had a thought of teshuva And the moment he had a thought of Teshuvah, he was transformed from a wicked person to a tzaddikam, one extreme to the other. Now, of course, we don't know what goes on in his heart. Only God knows. But if, in fact, he does have a thought of Teshuvah, he becomes a complete tzaddik. And therefore, her condition was fulfilled. Her legal was legally fulfilled. Now, since we don't know what's in his heart, maybe he did maybe he didn't so therefore it's in doubt maybe he's married maybe not and therefore he needs a divorce in doubt but the principle here the legal principle that the moment he had a thought of teshuva it's genuine and he has become transformed like reborn again a rebirth from a completely wicked person to completely righteous astonishing halach because the the Talmud doesn't distinguish or differentiate what kind of sinner was for example if a person stole money, does Triva help? If you keep the money? No. You have to return the money. And even if you return the money, is that enough? No, you have to ask forgiveness. So how can the Talmud say that if you're, even if you're a complete Russia, you're a mafiosi, you're a gun, if you're a thief, you're a lowlife, you're a bum, But maybe at that moment he had a thought of teshuva and he has become a complete tzaddik. How can he be a complete tzaddik if he's still holding on to the money? And the answer is because there's two parts. There's one part I have to make up for the sin that I did. I have to make up for my past. I stole money, I have to return it. I have to to regret what I did. I have to ask forgiveness and obtain forgiveness. I have to achieve atonement. But that's all for the past. The essence of tshuva is about the future. I took upon myself from now on. I'm abandoning my evil ways. I'm abandoning sin. I'm going to change. That is the essence of tshuva. So even this thief, the moment he thinks, I will never steal again, he's about tshuva. That tshuva is genuine. He has transformed himself from a wicked person to a complete silent. And later on, he'll go and return the money. Maybe. No, Maybe. no. Obviously, if he doesn't return the money, then, then, then it wasn't a genuine change. What do you mean? I'm changing. I'm not going to steal from now on. But I'm holding on to the millions that I stole, or the, or the fifty billion that I stole, that I conned everyone into. That, that's that's not. That's not. Then it makes a mockery of the whole. Makes a mockery of the whole. Of the whole truth. But the moment you genuinely decide you're going to change Even before you return the money At that moment You've done truth You just said you're, All of that doesn't count unless you change Right No, the, 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 the decision to change Just the thought and the decision In your heart that you're going to change And if you don't change? No, if you don't change it's not sincere then it's like mouthing words. That we discussed earlier. But at least over there you said confession. At least you mouth something. So then you're like in the mikveh, but you're still holding on to the dead rat. If, you, if you're just thinking, you're not even mouthing, you're not even in the mikveh. Then it's just a joke. We're, not, we're talking about a genuine shuvah. Maybe had a genuine change of heart. Because when a person gets married, like the commentaries ask why do we say that witnesses are not kosher? Why don't you say the same thing? Maybe when they testify, they had a thought of Teshuvah and from, from being non-kosher witnesses they became kosher witnesses at that split second. So at least we should be in doubt. Maybe the testimony is good. Let's say they were testimony to a marriage. Maybe, maybe they're married because the witnesses are kosher. And the answer is, no, we don't, we don't, in the middle of a Wednesday afternoon we don't think suddenly a person is going to have a dramatic transformation and is going to have a thought of Teshuvah but when a person gets married, marriage does that to people. <laughs> you know, your wife tells you, someone you love, and you want to spend the rest of your life with, and she tells you, yeah, I'll be your wife on one condition. Become a tzaddik. It says even Esau, when he got married. Esau, that's what we learn out, that a, a groom, all his sins are forgiven on the day of his marriage. Because Esau married a righteous woman. He's Shmuel's daughter. He wanted to impress his father. And for a brief moment, he had a genuine change of heart. For a brief moment. It wasn't. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine because he kept all his other wives. <laughs> it's not like he got. We got rid of all his mechashefas. He kept them. and he, he just added for show, to display and show everyone. You know, for public uh, consumption. Show his father. Look how righteous he am. So, but for, for a brief moment, the fact that he married a righteous woman, it was. It was a. It was an openness to truth, At least for a window. So it's only in such a, a moment that we, we think, okay, maybe the tshuva. But any witness who's not kosher, we don't have to suddenly suspect that suddenly out of nowhere he's a sinner. He sinned yesterday, he sinned tomorrow. And all of a sudden here he had a change of heart and became a complete tzaddik. That's, that's, you don't have to suspect that. that you, don't even, you don't even suspect that. But in the case of here where the woman made a condition, says, yeah, I'm going to marry you, you love me, I'm going to marry you. We know the woman have the power, a man. If the man loves a woman... He can turn his whole life around. So at that moment we think, you know, maybe for a brief moment he had a genuine change of heart at that moment. And therefore he became a righteous person. Didn't Rabbi Akiva have that situation where his wife said she would only marry him if he started studying the Torah? Mm. Yes. And exactly. at forty years old. Exactly, till forty he hated. It. He said if I saw a Torah scholar I would rip him to pieces. Mm-hmm. He hated them with a passion. But she said that's yeah, the That's division. the power that's the power of the wife, absolutely now we also find the Talmud says that if a person let's say sinned he had a bastard he sinned with a married woman and he fathered a bastard not what in America you call a bastard what the Torah calls a bastard a married woman you know a sin that brings a, brings a death sentence a death penalty we learned here, which you need tshuva, you need Yom Kippur And you need uh, pain and suffering And even that doesn't help in this case Why? As the Talmud says, what's a mistake that you can't fix? There are certain mistakes that you can't fix So One of them is if you don't do a mitzvah You lost that opportunity, forget it Forever But the Talmud says, you know you know, what's a case that you can't fix? A person who gives birth to a bastard it's Because the bastard is here the result of your sin is a living, breathing human being. His whole being is sin. He was born in sin. He's a walking, living, breathing testimony to your sin. So you can't... It doesn't help. What do you mean you do tshuva. Tshuva doesn't help. You can't fix it. He's born in sin. His whole being was, was conceived in sin. That's why the bastard is the ultimate, ultimate victim. God cries because it wasn't his fault the poor kid the, the father the mother had a you know a love affair and they got it doesn't help they got carried away and for one brief moment they weren't thinking about the consequence they weren't thinking about the child and the poor child is a walking living breathing sin It's conceived in sin but he to, yeah. Hashem cries with him and yet the Talmud says that this bastard has to honor his father. The mitzvah of honoring your parents. is The bastard has to honor his father. It's his father. The Talmud says, wait a minute. It says, when do you have to honor your father if he's behaving properly? If he's acting like a Jew. But if he's not behaving properly, then you don't have to honor him. Or at least you don't get punished if you don't honor him how can you say how can you say that a bastard is obligated has all the obligations of honoring your parents with all the consequences and implications if you hit your parents, you get a death sentence if you curse your parents you get the ultimate death sentence how could you say that if the father sinned the father gave birth to this bastard so he sinned and it's a sin that you can't fix so why should the son be responsible for honoring his father Talmud answers. We're talking about a case when he did shruva, he repented. The father, the father did shruva. When he sinned and he conceived of the child, obviously then he was a bum and a low life and he couldn't care less about mitzvah, and he made the ultimate sin, committed adultery and he couldn't care and he ruined her and he ruined everyone just for his momentary pleasure. Fine. But now, when the son grows up, we're talking about a case where the, the father had a change of heart. He did shuvah, he repented. Therefore in such a case, the child is obligated to honor his parents. But the question remains, what do you mean the father did shuvah? Shuvah doesn't help. The Talmud says in this case, shuvah doesn't help because the sin is a living, breathing reality right in front of your eyes. The result, the consequences of your behavior is right standing right in front of you. What do you mean shuvah? Shuvah can help. So what do we see from there? Again, when the Talmud says Shuvah doesn't help, there's two parts to Shuvah. He's fixing the past, and the Talmud says, if someone gave birth to a mamzer, to a bastard, how can you fix it? The sin is sort of standing before your eyes. I can't fix the past, there's nothing I can do. It's irreversible. You created facts on the ground that are irreversible. But that's not the essence of the Shuvah. The essence of teshuva is changing in the future, not the past. From now on, I'm changing. So the moment you change, you have Teshuvah. You are a complete baal You have Teshuvah. And therefore, the son has to honor his parents with all the consequences and implications of that, those obligations. So you see clearly, this reinforces what Al-Turabi is saying, that Teshuvah the essence of Tshuva, when you strip away all the details and externals, the essence of Tshuva is changing the future. Abandoning sin, going forward. Not the regret for the past. Not the seeking atonement for the past. Not asking, obtaining forgiveness for the past. That's not the essence of Tshuva. Not even the confession. You know, there's an obligation. It's doing true. So. Now, this begs the question, This law, Al Rebbe quotes the Tractate Sanhedrin, the proof that Shuva is about the future, not the past. So we have two proofs. One that Al Tarebi brings, from the Tractate Sanhedrin, and from the fourth part of the Code of Jewish law, Khayshin Mishpat, in relation to witnesses, and the laws of witnesses. This proof that we just mentioned is in the Tractate Kiddushin, and which is earlier. Which precedes the tractate Sanhedrin. The whole seder of, of women of relationship comes before Nezikin and it's in the code of Jewish law. In Evan is the third part of the code of Jewish law, which precedes chaysh and mishpat, which is the fourth part of the So why did Al-Turabi bring a proof from the tractate Sanhedrin, from the laws of witnesses, which comes later? Why didn't he bring a proof from earlier From the Tracted Kiddushin, And from Evan Ezra, Especially as we started out in the, in the introduction The Rebbe explains in the introduction That the third Why the third part of the Tanya The letter of Teshuvah Corresponds to the third part Of the Code of Jewish Law Because it's all about the marriage Of the Jewish people and God The second marriage Which represents Teshuvah Returning, coming back home why didn't Alter Rebbe bring a proof from the theme that he's discussing the idea of marriage we learn from marriage if a woman says I accept to be your wife but one condition you're going to do teshuvah," so we say it's a valid kiddush we, we have to maybe he did teshuvah, and if he did teshuvah, then it would be a 100% valid marriage because in that split second her condition was fulfilled the legal requirement was fulfilled. He became a complete self. So why does al Rebbe, doesn't Alte Rebbe use that as proof? Instead, he uses this proof. So the Rebbe explains, because there's a big difference between the laws of marriages and the laws of witnesses, of testimony. The laws of marriages, which has to do with prohibited, not prohibited, there we have a rule. We follow the majority. Follow the majority. So therefore, you can say that this whole concept that maybe a person did Shiva is not something you would say about every last Jew. I think every last Jew is going to do teshuva in one split second? You can say a majority of Jews, 51% of Jews will do teshuva. But this letter of Teshuvah is part of Tanya. The foundation of the Tanya, as Al-Tarebi writes all the way in the beginning of the Tanya, is that to be Jewish is something that's dear and near to every Jew. That's the verse that he bases the whole Tanya on. Mm-hmm. To observe the Torah and the mitzvah to something that's very dear and near to each and every last Jew. Not only to 51%, but 100%. And Achmanides interprets, Kikar of is not referring to the observance of all the mitzvah. It's referring to specifically to the mitzvah of Teshuvah. That the mitzvah of Teshuvah is something that's near and dear to each and every Jew with your heart, with your speech, with your actions. So how can you say that it's something certain that every Jew is ready to do Teshuvah and could do Teshuvah you can't prove it from the laws of marriage. Because of the laws of marriage, in the laws of prohibited, permitted, not prohibited, these laws, we follow the majority. See, so even if only, I would say, 51% of Jews would do Teshuvah, 49% of Jews would not do Teshuvah, it would be enough for me to say and to worry, you know, and maybe he did Teshuvah, and therefore let's consider them married, and therefore they need a divorce. But I would still say, maybe for 49% of Jews, it's far-fetched. You can't do truva in a second. It's not possible. So therefore the ever brings a proof from witnesses, the laws of witnesses. Because when it comes to the laws of money, financing, by witnesses we don't follow majority. When it comes to the laws of financing, you don't follow the laws of majority. Because to reach out into a Jew's packet and take out money from his pocket, you need something better than majority. Most likely, most probably, that doesn't cut it. Leave the money where it is, right? Possession is 99% of uh, the law. Leave the money in his pocket until you can prove to me 100% that the guy is guilty, he is not paying a dime. So if the fact... That's what al brings the proof from witnesses, the laws of witnesses. If the fact on the testimony of these two witnesses, based on their testimony, we ta- reach into a Jew's pocket and take money out of his pocket... Based on what? They were not kosher witnesses. They, yesterday they were not kosher witnesses. Now suddenly they became kosher witnesses. The Jew, he's trying to reach into his pocket and the court is trying to take money out of his pocket can argue and say, wait a minute. You're basing your testimony on this bum and this lowlife who so, did all these terrible things. All of a sudden he changed. I don't believe in it. Maybe he's from the 49% of Jews who don't do Torah in a second. How do I know that he's from? Prove it to me. You have to prove to me 100 percent that his truth is genuine. So, from the laws of witnesses, you see the witness has to be decisive. It's not ifs, maybe's, buts. When the witness says, we believe them 100 percent. The Torah says it has to be certain, and they have to be decisive, and we believe because if you get two Jews together and say the same thing, you know they must be telling the truth. So it's decisive and it's clear and based on their testimony we go ahead and reach into a Jew's pocket and remove his money and force him to pay. Based on what? He did to the Shuvah. These two witnesses did Shuvah. No matter how terrible they were. But they changed. And because they changed That's why we believe. Now, does it say they have, to, they have to confess first? No. Does it say they have to ask forgiveness first? No. Does it say we have to wait till Yom Kippur? No. Do we have to wait until they have pain and suffering? No. You don't need any of these conditions. The moment the court establishes that they've changed, you accept them. Now, in the case of theft, obviously, they're going to keep on, they keep the money. They say, you know, come to court. You know, I really had a change of heart. I'm never going to steal again. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Prove it. If you're keeping the money, until you return the money, I have no proof that you really changed. I need proof that you really changed. The court is, are human. They, they need proof that you've changed. So You can't keep the money. But the, the truth is, real teshuva, even before you return the money, the moment you have a change of heart, that you change... You promise and you pledge, you're never going to steal again. God accepts your truth. You have done to truth. Even before you fix the past, you mend the past and you return the money. You already have done truth. But for the court, obviously that doesn't fly. The court doesn't know. What do you mean you change? You're holding on to the money, you change it. It has no meaning. I don't know that you change. If you return the money, now I hear you. Maybe. Maybe I can say, okay, you return the money. If you return the money voluntarily, you come to the court. And you come and you return the money voluntarily. No one forced you. You stole. You got away with it. And you could get away with it. You can get away with murder. You came on your own and you came clean. The court says, wait a minute. you are doing Teshuvah. Now I have proof that you really changed. That you decided you're not going to steal again. But in in principle, in reality, for Hashem, what is the mitzvah of Teshuvah? The moment you do Teshuvah. The moment you have a change of heart. The moment you promise and pledge you're, never, you're going to change your behavior, even before you mend the, the, the past, even before you return the money, even before you do anything, change the future. you do tshuva. And that tshuva is certain. 100%. And all Jews, so much so, the Jew with taking money out of his pocket can't claim and say, wait a minute, maybe 99% of Jews could do tshuva in a second. Maybe he's one of the 1% that can. If you were able to argue that, you couldn't take money out of it. The only way you can take money out of another Jew's pocket when it comes to financial things, it has to be 100% certainty. So the Torah establishes with 100% certainty that the moment a Jew has a change of heart and decides to change his behavior, at that moment, every Jew, 100%, all Jews, every Jew, or every last one of them, could do shuvah. And that truva is genuine. And that truva is acceptable. And he becomes kosher, he becomes a kosher witness. And therefore, based on their testimony now, no matter what they did in the past, based on their testimony today, we stick our hands in the juice pocket and take out them. Because we're 100%. If these two kosher witnesses testify, they're telling the truth, they're honorable, we trust them, based on their testimony. We are certain, the the court is certain, without a shade of doubt, that this is true testimony, honorable testimony. And therefore, based on their testimony, we go ahead and financially force the other Jew to pay. That's why the Alter Rebbe does not bring, ignores the other proof. Because to prove the point that he's saying, much more powerful, and to prove how this idea of Teshuvah is something that's relevant for each and every Jew. And it's doable, and accessible. Relatively easily accessible. Because it's one thing you have to regret. You have to fix the past. Look, you need shuvah, you need yom kippur, you need pain and suffering. It's a whole to do. It's overwhelming. But to do teshuvah, to change my behavior from this moment on, this everyone can do. It's a, it's a path that's available, it's accessible. University. the long short way, universal. The long short way. Everyone can do this. It's doable. Al is making is paving the way for us, He's giving us a highway. A four lane highway, a six lane highway is making it easy for all of us to tr- to reach the level of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I answer So you're the judge. Right. Somebody comes to you a witness that we found local before, and he says I'm gonna change and that's enough for the court. You mean the, the witnesses are were disqualified because they said disqualified no well how do we know? We have to have a proof that they changed. I mean. So the town the, the Code of Jerusalem says that if he's a let's say a slaughterer that sold meat, you know, an unconscious, so if he goes to another city where no one knows him and he he's in the same position and he couldn't get away with it. You had a huge shipment, it's before your holiday. So then you need other witnesses to testify for this witness. Oh well, yeah, yeah, so we have oh yeah, we have we have to know. Or or if he comes before us and he breaks his uh, the tools of his trade for gambling. Right. You know, Or he comes and voluntarily comes and confesses and returns the money that he stole. So it's like having a separate trial to see if he's actually changed. No, I, mean, I mean, if the court establishes, the court sees that he changed his behavior, that he made a real resolution going forward to change his behavior, and we have proof that he's changed his behavior, and that's all that matters. We need this out, outward manifestation. Yes, because, only because the court has no way else of knowing. Right, so that has to come from a third party? maybe the court themselves knows maybe he comes to the court he comes to the court and he hands back money I stole money here I want to give it back you know you know, you know the story of the IRS <laughs> they get a letter with a check for half a million dollars because mm. you know I couldn't sleep at night <laughs> this, is the, this is the money that I owe you yeah. and if I still can't sleep I'll send you the rest <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that's, cool. that's weird <laughs> so, if a person, a person comes clean, then obviously. Uh... The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golas of exile, and we will be the first generation of Gaulah of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we gonna do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Gaulas once and for all? Well Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Balshamtav. He tells the Balsamtav that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shemtev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbis sacrifice themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebus published over 6,000 Tanyas literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through lessonsintanya.com, Tanya in Depth is available and accessible 24 6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya. We ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alta Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com thank you for listening. Thank you for curing, and a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alterebbe himself.